This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. She's been the advisor to the Henry Nouwen Legacy Trust for 18 years and has been consulted throughout the world on Nouwen and his literary legacy. She's the editor of Love Henry and You Are Beloved, drawn from the works of Henry Nouwen. And today we'll be discussing a recent book that she edited called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety, which was drawn from remarks that Henry Nouwen gave in 1985. Gabrielle Earnshaw, welcome to Things Not Seen. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. So for our listeners who may not yet know the legacy of Henry Nouwen, they may have heard the name, but they may not know the depth and the impact that Henry Nouwen has left on the Christian spiritual world. Why don't we start with a few questions about who Henry Nouwen was and what drew him to the work that led to him giving these remarks that became the book Following Jesus? Okay. Well, I can start off by saying that he was a Dutch priest born in 1932, so that sort of situates him in time and in geography. And then he was ordained as a priest, a Catholic priest, in 1957. And after ordination, he did something a bit unusual for priests at that time. He decided to study psychology. And to do that, he relocated to the United States to study at the Menninger Clinic. And this led to a realization that he had a real connection to the North American psyche and the North American sort of zeitgeist. And he ended up leaving Holland and teaching at Notre Dame in the, in the newly formed psychology department. He then went on to teach pastoral theology at Yale University for 10 years at the Yale Divinity School and then at Harvard Divinity School for two years. And then what he did, which is a bit unusual for an academic, is he left his tenured position, both at Yale and at Harvard, to first he left Yale to become a missionary in Peru with the Mary Knoll brothers. And then after coming back to teach at Harvard for two years, he made a much more radical move, and that was to join a, an intentional Christian community called L'Arche, which is a community for people with handicaps, and they live together with, pe- with, with people without handicaps and intellectual disabilities. And this is a community that was started by a Canadian, Jean Vanier, and it is a community now, there are 130 or more of these large communities around the world. And Henry now joined one of these communities just north of Toronto, Canada, in 1986. And he lived there for the, for the last 10 years of his life. He died when he was 64 of a heart attack, so unexpectedly, and that was in 1996. So we are now about 23 years out from the time of his death, and I've been involved in ensuring that his legacy is preserved going forward. So um, doing, doing works like bringing the book Following Jesus to light is, is part of the work of the legacy. Well, and so let's stay with this for a moment. So he is 
in the ivory tower, basically. He's at Yale and he's at Harvard. And as a frustrated academic myself, I can say that those are dream jobs. But he, <laughs> but he looks at those dream jobs and he says that he needs to do something else. And I've heard accounts that say that in many ways he felt like his soul was in danger if he stayed in those particular types of positions. And so his mission work and his work at L'Arche both were attempts to go after something that was more meaningful or something that was more spiritually connected. Help me understand his thinking in leaving a position at Harvard, a position at Yale, to go into the mission field or to go and work amongst the mentally challenged. Yeah, I guess the first thing to to note about Henry Nowen is that he absolutely thrived in the academic environment. He was a very beloved teacher, and he wherever he went, whether 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 he was at Notre Dame, Yale, or Harvard, he created community with the students there. And he and it was a it became sort of like a happening in a way. He he really was a very good teacher. He was very engaged with the students and. And so it's not, uh, I think when we think of him as being very disenchanted with the academic world, it was more that he wondered, Henry Nouwen had this, I think like most of us, he had this sense of where is God calling me? Where is God calling me? And he he had a sense, even though he was thriving at Yale Divinity School, and he, and he, and he describes it as a very happy time in his life, he felt that perhaps he wasn't, it was getting too comfortable for him. And so he, the decision to become a missionary in Peru was really to follow the call of working, working with and for the poor. And so it was a call of downward mobility. He was, he was already speaking about downward mobility, that, you know, Jesus' tra- trajectory was downward mobility. And he wondered if his own, you know, success was somehow hampering his ability to, to follow the call of Jesus. So when he went to Peru, what's interesting for us, though, is that so he believes very sincerely and deeply that he is called to work for the poor in Latin America. He's already been quite involved in political activism and for for justice in, in Latin and Central America before he left. And he goes down there, and his personality just wasn't suitable for it. He He became very lonely. He didn't have... The language skills to connect with the with the people in Peru, with the Peruvians, as well as he would like. He was a very, you know, he really loved people and having deep conversations. And he found the language barrier was prevented that, and he started to become quite lonely. And people around him, including Gustavo Gutierrez, suggested that perhaps his gift was not to work in Peru, but to speak about the conditions of Peru and other in other countries in Latin and Central America to an American audience. So he actually came back to the United States on a reverse mission, he called it, and that was to educate and sort of highlight what the American government was actually doing in Latin and Central America. And this was, I think, an indication of an important part of Henry Nouwen's legacy is that he wasn't a man who who had it all together. He was actually a person who was quite needy. He, I, I'm not speaking out of turn by saying that. He would write about that quite freely and honestly. He felt broken in many ways. He felt like he needed people a lot, that he, he had uh, broken relationships, that he needed to reconcile. So he was... 
he was a person who was searching, and I think that is part of what gave, gives him, continues to give him, is a role model for other searchers, and because he didn't have it all together. He was, you know, he goes down to, to Latin America, it didn't work out. People actually said, Henry, please <laughs> go back to go back to North America. I think you'd, you, you'd be uh, better off there. And then he went, he did the reverse mission, joined Harvard Divinity School, and that's where he actually had the one of the biggest crises of his life. He called it the spiritual crisis. And that's where he felt that he was teaching a course called Introduction to the Spiritual Life. He taught it twice at Harvard. It was a massive class. There was people sitting in the aisles. It was it was a very, very important class for Harvard. And Henry was extremely dynamic and engaged in it. But interiorly, he was feeling, I guess he called it a spiritual death. He was he called it burnout, which is another term for spiritual death. He said, and so he at, at even so he was facing this this really difficult decision where he was clearly reaching a lot of people. He was speaking about prayer. He was speaking about following Jesus. He was speaking, but he himself felt he wasn't. And it was in that moment that you know the book Following Jesus comes to fruition. But at the, also at the same moment is when Jean Vanier connects with Henry Nouwen. They had known each other previously, but Jean Vanier connects with Henry Nouwen and says, Henry, perhaps you'd like to come to L'Arche. We might be able to give you a home. And it was actually a home that Henry Nouwen was looking for. He was looking for what we're all looking for, a sense of belonging, a sense of communion, a sense of being known, a sense of being seen. And it was that call from Jean Vanier, a very sort of subtle call, you know, perhaps we can find a home for you, that actually led him to make that very drastic decision to leave academia altogether and to move to L'Arche. And uh, I think that that's really... You know, the, the subtitle of this book is Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. So Henry Nowen is our perfect guide for this kind of um, question. You know, how do we find our way home in an age of anxiety? Because he was living very anxiously. He, he described himself as an anxious, needy person, emotional, very emotional. And so when Jean Vanier use the word home, perhaps we could find a home for you, perhaps you will find a home with us. This was almost like, you know, Henry Nouwen could exhale, but I think he also felt like this was the call that he'd been waiting for. So all his life he had been trying to follow the call of God, following following Jesus, and he had tried many different avenues to that. And I think I think this call from Jean Vanier to join a community, an intentional Christian community, where people with intellectual disabilities formed the core of the life, and they're called core members, actually, people with the intellectual disabilities. And Jean Vanier's teaching around this is that people with intellectual disabilities have a gift to offer, and we need to listen to them, look at them, give them space to reveal their gift to us. And this type of way of understanding living, of, of how to live, connected very deeply with Henry Nouwen, because I think that he had already understood this, that we all have a gift and we all need the space to reveal our gift to other people. And we need to honor the gift and look for the gift in ourselves and and reveal it to other people. And I think that so the connection between Jean Vanier and Henry Nouwen, not only personally, but also 
in, in the way that they understood what it meant to be a Christian in the modern world was, you know, th- there was a great synchronicity there. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. We're talking about a book that she recently edited of remarks by Henry Nouwen called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. And today we're discussing a book that she edited of remarks given by Henry Nouwen in 1985 that has been collected under the title Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Well, in the first segment, you talked about the importance to Henry Nouwen of relationships. And there's a point in following Jesus where Henry Nouwen is talking about relationships specifically. And he's describing how that can become a very desperate kind of neediness. I really want to get to know you. I still have this feeling that you haven't let me know all about yourself. And the other person might say, I'm really trying hard and I've shared all that I have to share. And Nowen goes on to say there's a kind of hopelessness to this kind of love and relationship. And we cling to one another, Nowen writes, and our demands become oppressive and desperate. And then there's this phrase that Nowen uses that I want to begin to unpack with you. Nowen says, we tend to think that love begins and ends with our interpersonal relationships. This is not true according to Scripture, Nowen says. Instead, love of others begins with our relationship with God. And so help me understand, as a person who you have described as being very, very needy, and, and we're, we're not, as you said, we're not, we're not saying anything out of turn here by saying that he, he admitted this neediness, but it's like he's using this neediness, this desire for relationship with others, as a way of going deeper, isn't he? Exactly. This is, you know, he, he was inside this question. He was inside it saying, I am so needy and I have made demands on my friends that are impossible. And I have, you know, I've had difficult relationships. Some people have walked away from my friendship because I've been so demanding. And so he, he knew about this and he knew about his own wounding in this area. And what he did as a priest, though, and as, as somebody who was very... You know, Henry Nouwen celebrated the Eucharist every day, every day of his priesthood. He never missed a day. He did it either with other people or he did it by himself. But he was extremely connected to the Eucharist. And he, and because of that, he was able to look at this neediness with slightly different eyes than some of us might be able to do. And he, and he was, so he tried to draw us back and himself back indeed to the first love. He calls it the first love, the original love. He says something really quite beautiful. He says that, you know, we focus on original sin when really we, we should be focusing on original love. And what he meant by that is, is that 
we, before we come into this world and form these relationships, these interpersonal relationships, we have a relationship with God. We are in God and God is in us. And we, and this is our primal identity. This is our primal relationship. And in order to be in relationship with other people, we need to to see that everything that we do and say comes from this deep place of knowing that we've been loved first by God, because it is, it's an inevitability that other human beings will hurt us. But if we feel so deeply rooted and anchored to God's first love for us, we have more of an ability to be forgiving, to being gentle, to being humble, and we, the, this will this will translate into how we're able to be with other people. And I think that this was a, a, something that Henry Nouwen was living on a day, daily basis. And I think this idea that, that there's the first love and then the second love, he calls it. So the second love is human love, the, the love that we uh, feel for other people. And he says that at times human love has a transactional quality to it. So there's this idea that I give you love, you give me love, and if that doesn't happen, there's something wrong with our love, and there's something wrong with the other person. And he's saying if we can sort of lift ourselves a little bit higher than that, a little bit, look at that a little bit from God's perspective, and if we can say human love will always have that kind of quality, but can we, because we are children of God, because we are so intimately loved by God, can we be more gentle, be more soft, be more kind in our transactions, in our relationships? And it's a it's something that Henry Nouwen struggled with his whole life, so I don't want to make it seem like, you know, if we, if we all could just follow this, everything will is sort of unfolds beautifully and easily. It's that it really, it isn't that easy, unfortunately. And and as Henry Nouwen makes that point several times in following Jesus, following Jesus isn't easy. But in a way, this way of understanding human love, understanding that we can and do wound each other through our own neediness, but there's an alternative way of being in relationship. I think that there, it's something to aspire to. It's something to sort of it's the direction to head in, and I think that that's what this book is about. It's about saying, this is the, at least now consider this as a direction to head in. Well, let's take a step back since we've begun to talk about the book itself. Let's talk about the circumstances that led to Henry Nouwen being asked to give these remarks in a church at a particular point in 1985, he's not yet gone to L'Arche. He's not yet made that decision. So this is really coming at a moment of turmoil for him personally and in his professional life. So talk to us a little bit about the circumstances that surround this series of remarks that he gave. Okay. Um, It it is important to know where these remarks come out, like when and how these remarks were made by Henry Nouwen. So he, he had not yet received the invitation from Jean Vanier. So he's, he's at a place where he's feeling like he's in the wrong place at Harvard. He's feeling very unhappy. He says that his prayer life has just dried up to nothing. He's not feeling connected to God. He's not feeling connected to the first love. 
And yet he's asked to give these Lenten, it was a, a Lenten series for 1985, and it was six talks. He was invited to give them at St. Paul Catholic Church, which is in the sort of the Harvard Square, you know, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the audience that came weren't actually uh, a lot of Harvard students, interestingly. It was, it was more of the community at large. So he was addressing a very diverse audience. He was addressing people of many different across the the religious spectrum. He was addressing quite a few people who were actually on the fence when it came to even being Christian. When you read the book, and when I was listening to the sound recordings of this of these talks, I mean he's got he's got a bit of a an urgency to him. And I think it's because he's speaking to people who like him are searchers. There's they're needing something. They like us. They they didn't know what to do with their life next. You know, they didn't know how to make good choices. They were sort of, as he says, wandering around. You know, sort of going in circles or just sitting there and kind of giving up and and just sort of being unengaged with the world because they didn't have a direction to go to. And that's actually where Henry Nowen was. He was trying to figure out where his next, what direction he needed to be taking because something wasn't working at Harvard. And so at these these talks were, I, I say in, in the editor's note at the end that it, it's like, it's like he was speaking to himself as much as he was speaking to the people there. It, this, these, I really get the sense that Henry Nowen, when he gave these meditations was, these were intensely personal and he, he, he did end up writing another book in 1988 called The Inner Voice of Love. And he did something similar. He wrote himself spiritual imperatives when he was undergoing probably a more severe depression than he was in at, at Harvard in later, later in his life. And I, get, I, I see there's a bit of a parallel between these two books because I feel like the, this following Jesus, although he's speaking to others, and he is speaking as a priest and as a sort of a, an authority, I guess, on the subject of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These are very deeply personal about why he, sort of why he continues to follow Jesus. It was a time when priests were leaving the priesthood. You know, there was a great disaffection for Christianity. There, there was, you know, there was a rise in the sort of the anti-clericalism movement. You know, there was. There, Feminists at Harvard were withering to Henry Nowen about his use of masculine language. He switched it very early on. He was a very early adapter of gender-neutral language, but he he was caught in all of that. And I think at times he he must have questioned, "What do I do in this modern world? You know, this is where do I fit? Where are my people? Where's?" And you know, Henry Nowen spoke a lot about communion, and he speaks about communion in this book as well. And by that he means. He means this sense of belonging, this sense of being in, you know, in community with other people. So he was looking for where is my community, where is my belonging, where do I belong, where is my home? Well, and one of the things that you say in your editor's note is that you're not supposed to approach this book, Following Jesus, as a technical manual for theology, but instead, and this, this is your phrase, it's a channel for your own self-discovery. So as, as Henry Nowen is literally publicly going through this churning and putting this out for these people there in Harvard Square, 
you're inviting the reader to do the same thing. Find your own place of engagement, your own place of question, and let Henry Nouwen's wrestling give you strength to wrestle yourself. First of all, have I heard that correctly in your intention for how this book is to be used? Absolutely. That is so, so important, and thank you for raising it. Because it's, especially academics, and he was at one of the, you know, the leading light center of academia, you know, it's it's about the head. It's about, do I believe this? Uh, no, no, it's not, do I believe this? But is this factually correct? You know, can I break this argument down? What do I think about this? And this this book is is not about that. And and listening to Henry Nouwen in 1985, if they were part of the community that that built up around these talks, it wasn't Henry Nouwen never never wants to convince us of anything. He wants us to say, hmm, Henry Nouwen has kind of unpacked this idea of human love as transactional. Does that apply to my life? What is my experience of human love? What is my experience of God's love? Henry's experience of God's love is this, but what is mine? Where has God been in my life? And the the book really calls for a very slow read. I think I think it might be tempting to just, you know, read the whole thing through once and that's fine, but I think to come back to it perhaps as a meditative practice or a morning practice and very carefully go through the book. Henry Nowen writes in a very simple way. He speaks in a very simple way, but his what he is saying is sometimes very counterintuitive or psychologically upside down thinking sometimes. Uh I think, you know, he He'll say something like, following Jesus is not imitating Jesus. Following Jesus is finding our own authentic way of being a follower of Jesus, or being our most authentic ourselves. You know, Jesus was authentic. How can I be authentic? So again, it's not the idea that, you know, Jesus is someone that Henry Nouwen was going to just imitate. He was trying to find his own way of walking his life, walking the earth, in a way that, with as much authenticity as Jesus did, and he's calling us to do the same. How can we do that? So it's really, yeah, it's a really important point that this is not a book to be read with your head. It's a book to be really, to allow it to penetrate your heart, to read it slowly, and to, and to ask ourselves questions. Is this, does this ring true for me? Does this, does this have resonance with my own experience? If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and is the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. We're discussing a book that she edited, written by Henry Nouwen, called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash not seen radio. Thank you. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. Today, we're speaking with Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian, and she's the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. We're discussing a recent book that she edited of writings by Henry Nouwen called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Well, I'd like to step back again and talk a little bit about how the book came to be constructed from a technical standpoint. So these were remarks that Henry Nouwen gave 
in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1985. They were not written manuscripts at the time. And so how did it go from his spoken remarks given in a church over six weeks to becoming the book that we have in front of us today? Okay, great question. As an archivist, I appreciate being able to go over the technical aspects of how the book came to be created. Uh, So that's correct. Henry Nowen spoke these words in 1985 over a six-week period from March to mid-April. And he had rough notes for himself, but very rough. Uh, He, you know, just sort of point form. But what he, somebody uh, recorded it. And so the archives in part of our, the the Nowen archives were started in 2000. He died in 1996. And four years later, his records were donated to the University of St. Michael's College at the University of Toronto. And part of the mandate of the archives was to collect material that other institutions had or other people had about Henry Nowen. And, and those, some of those were sound recordings, audio cassettes. And so someone had recorded these talks that Henry gave in the church at the time. They were really poor quality. I had to enlist the help of a sound technician to help with the quality so that I could at least hear in part what he, Henry was saying. Uh, Henry speaks with a thick Dutch accent, but I've come to, to know it quite well after all these years. I then transcribed the the talks. Unfortunately, there were some pieces that I couldn't make out at all, and there was another set of talks that he gave in 1987 around the same theme. It was different. It was a retreat. It was a retreat setting. It was three days long. But I was able to kind of fill in the gaps with that set of of talks as well. So it's, it's like I stayed very, very true to the Harvard talks, but had to fill in sometimes with a, a talk given in 1987. And so in the process of doing this, you say that there were moments where you could not make out the actual text of what Henry Nouwen was saying. At moments like that, as an archivist, as a person who feels the importance of getting it right, tell us about your decision-making process. What, what is it that goes through your head and what do you feel is incumbent upon you? What's, you, what's your responsibility in that moment to the text? I must be as true to each word that Henry Tappan says as possible. The tense, the if there's a plural, if because every little change that I might make as a mistake because I've misheard it or mistranscribed it could change the meaning of what Henry Nowen is saying. And and it's I see that as a huge responsibility of work as an editor for Henry Nowen because in a way, uh, you know, people will be going through his words with a fine-tooth comb, theologians and, and people who are, who are aiming to really understand what he is saying about things like the resurrection or the, the Trinity or, you know, these sort of theological questions. And I want to ensure that whatever's coming now without Henry Nouwen here to, to verify it and vet it, that it is absolutely as true to what he said or wrote as absolutely possible. So it's it's something I take very seriously. There's not a word in the book as it was published that is, is, isn't Henry Nowen's. If I had to fill in a gap in the, the Harvard talk, I would use what, what was in the 1987 talk. If I hadn't, if I didn't have the 1987 talk, I really wonder if we would have been able to do it because there would have been far too much guesswork. And, and as I, there's no guesswork in this book. It is exactly as Henry Nowen would have, would have, 
it's exactly how Henry Nouwen expressed himself around these different themes. And we can't know now, because he is passed away, what his intentions were and what his thoughts about this project would be. But let's take a philosophical turn for a moment, because remarks given to a live audience of breathing people, that's slightly different than words that are committed to a page to become a book. And we tend to treat those things differently. We, we tend to treat a book oftentimes with much more gravity and importance than we do remarks that are given in a public space. And so thinking about that, in the intention of what Henry Nouwen was doing when he gave these remarks in 1985 and in 1987, now that they've been translated into a fixed form on a printed page, what do you think has changed in terms of the momentum of these remarks? Okay, so that was, you know, as an editor of, of text that was spoken, I had to make the decision. Am I going to try to keep the the sort of the immediacy of the spoken word, or am I going to make this so that it is easily, more easily read? And in the end, I did go for the, this is a transcription of, a spoke, of the spoken word for reading. And what that meant is that Henry Nouwen spoke with a lot of urgency. He was a person with a lot of energy. When he spoke, you know, he wasn't looking at his, at his notes. He, he was he was electric, and he would his his hands would fly up, and he had these enormous hands. People people remember that you know he expressed himself through his hands. He, when I transcribed it, I had exclamation marks all over the transcript because it felt like he was speaking in exclamation marks. I eventually ended up taking out the exclamation marks, most of them, because it it didn't read well on the page. It, it looked frenetic. It looked frantic in a way. So that's the kind of choices that I had to make in turning this from a spoken word to a text. Another thing that Henry Nouwen did, because he was speaking just from his from his heart, is he repeated himself. He has fa- favorite phrases. He loves saying suddenly. Suddenly you have a new life. And this was an important phrase because for Henry Nouwen, following Jesus is something that can happen suddenly. This This and we can we can go from having a static life to an ecstatic life. You know, this was something that was truly possible, and it could happen in the flash of a moment. And so suddenly is an important word. New is an important word for Henry Nouwen. But when I was transcribing it and then later editing it, I could see that there was too many instances of suddenly and new. So I tried to bring that back a little bit because otherwise it would it would I think it would just read as as poorly edited quite frankly I think that it it needed it needed to have some sort of uh, a bit more tightness in in the in the sentences without without frequently starting a sentence with suddenly as you're describing all of this process and as you're describing Henry Nowen's manner of speaking to an audience, I'm being drawn again and again to a story that is related in the book following Jesus about when he first gets to Lima, Peru to do mission work. And he is barraged by these children that want to play with him. And he keeps saying, leave me alone. I need to go help the poor. 
and the children are saying, no, play ball with us. And, and what I'm hearing here, and forgive me for this, this may be a, a terrible connection, but what I hear in this is the immediacy of the audience saying, deal with us now, engage with us now, versus a kind of removed notion, a kind of idealized notion of, I need to say this great theological thing. So that would be the, leave me alone, I need to go help the poor, versus the immediacy of children right then and there saying, no, our need is immediate, play ball with us now, he was really writing this not as as a written piece. He was writing this in the immediacy of that moment with that crowd there in Harvard Square, wasn't he? Absolutely. You've you've absolutely got Henry now. And I mean, I think that when he would walk into, you know, whatever night it was, Tuesday night, he would walk in, he would have a general idea of what he was going to say, but he would spend time ahead of time speaking to the people who were there, getting to hear what was, you know, happening in their lives. And then, and then he would, he would enter into that with them. So I think that there was a spontaneity to the talks that I still try to retain, but I think he was looking out at the audience. There was something when you were speaking, it reminded me of when Henry Nowen tells that story, the people in the audience are are laughing hysterically. There's there, there's hysterical laughter. He he was actually, he wasn't a comedian. He didn't tell jokes, but he just had a way of self-deprecating humor where that people would just laugh along with him. And so that was one thing that was a bit challenging as an editor is, you know, how, how can I try to try to convey Henry's, Henry's humor here and how, and how this was received by the people who were in attendance. And it's a bit hard. Humor is a bit hard. It doesn't translate as well from spoken word to the written, to the written word. But that story about the Peruvian children is, is a great story. And, and I think that he would have thought, I need to give I need to give concrete examples so that this doesn't sound like something that that you know isn't possible for for the average person. It's I think that he was he was very much a one of us kind of spiritual guides. He wasn't he wasn't somebody who saw himself as a guru in any sense of the meaning of that. He he really saw himself as you know this is something I've tried. This is something I've experienced. What about you? You know that was sort of his way of being. Well, and that's one thing that just rang out to me all the way through reading your book, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Reading this book was the vulnerability and the honesty of Henry Nouwen. And it, it it's there on every page, and his willingness to do exactly what you're saying, to to let down his guard with, I, I guess, because of the vulnerability of the crowd there in front of him. But this also shows up in other writings that were not delivered in person, but instead were intended for the written page. He really made a ministry of vulnerability, didn't he? Well, absolutely. This is something that draws people to Henry Nowen even 23 years after his death. Because there are Although we're, we live in a culture where there's a sort of a tell-all culture, you know, we, we have the talk shows or, you know, the pe- people use their blogs or we've got all of these different platforms that we can, you know, sort of let it all sort of hang out. Henry had a way of being vulnerable that wasn't exhibitionist. I, I don't know how he did it, but he, he managed to be vulnerable and make us feel sort of connected with that vulnerability and allow us then to sort of express our own vulnerability without it becoming something where feel sorry for me or aren't I 
fabulous. You know, it, there was there was something about the way that he did it, and I think it. I think really, truly, it was because he was very honest about it. He didn't over exaggerate it, and he also didn't underplay it. He had this aphorism that he would say is that to you know, um, I what what is most personal is the most universal. And he would also speak about laying down his life for his friends. So he he felt that being a priest, being a minister, being a spiritual leader was about opening up his own life so that people could then feel feel safe to open up their own lives. And I, I think you probably remember in, in the book where he talks about our cross and carrying our cross. One thing that struck me, I guess, is that we think about our cross as all the big things, you know, oh, we've, you know, we've got this big thing happened to me. And, 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 but he, he says, let's, let's actually set the big burdens aside. Let's acknowledge them. But then what I'm, what he suggests is that we actually also draw our attention to the small crosses, the small burdens, the small problems, the things like when you're walking down the hall at your place of work and a colleague doesn't smile at you and you you, you don't know why but it, the rest of the day you're you're feeling kind of low you're feeling like why did that happen and i and you're feeling like you've been rejected it's a small thing and maybe the colleague didn't even know what they were doing but that is actually uh something that that gets in the way of our being loving people because then we have a burden and he is saying connect that burden with Jesus's burden and be honest about it. Be, be honest with yourself that that is something that happened to you today and it hurt you and you're going to sort of be attentive to it. And I think that that's what he was doing. He was using his own life to be an example for how other people, for how we can do, do that as well. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. Today we're discussing the edited volume, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety, written by Henry Nouwen. We'll be back in a moment. So for those of you that are longtime listeners to Things Not Seen, you may be aware that I do another show called The Francis Effect with my friend Dan Haran. He's a Franciscan priest. Every couple of weeks, he and I get together to bring you commentary on current events from a perspective informed by our Catholic faith. Now, Dan, why should I be talking to you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a Franciscan friar, a Roman Catholic priest, and a professor of theology here in Chicago. And that's a good question. I have no idea why you should be talking with me. But if people are interested in what a conversation between you, the otherwise uh, respectable host of Things Not Seen, and me, the not-so-respectable Roman Catholic priest and theologian, I think they should tune in. Yeah, they should definitely tune in. So that's The Francis Effect, and you can find it at francisfxpod.com. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. We're discussing a recent book that she edited of writings of Henry Nouwen called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Well, I'm curious, as the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives there in Toronto, in engaging with Henry Nouwen's work, in thinking as deeply and as fully as you have described to us about literally every word of things like this manuscript for following Jesus, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with me and my listeners how your own spiritual life has been affected by this deep engagement with Henry Nouwen's work. Sure. I'd love to, actually. 
I um, grew up in a secular household. I had no religious upbringing at all growing up. In fact, there was probably a bit of suspicion around organized religion by my mother. My father had died earlier when I was two and a half, but my mother had a suspicion of religion, and so I grew up without without it, except the short amount of time where a neighbor, a friend of mine, and her parents brought me to a United Church of Canada. And I went there. I liked getting dressed up in my Sunday clothes. And and the, the minister there was very, very fatherly. And as I mentioned, my father had died. And this lovely minister welcomed me there. And I remember some very happy memories come from those times of joining my, my little friend's family going to church. So, I, I, you know, any experience I had of church was quite positive, but I didn't really have much. And then I went through what might be a typical teenagehood and, and early adulthood where I was quite suspicious of anything old-fashioned or I became a feminist, so that I sort of applied that lens to religion. And I would say I was probably an atheist for many years. But at the same time, although I was sort of intellectually and politically against religion, if you want to just, if I can just say it that sort of bluntly, I interiorly, something very different was happening because I recall that I had almost throughout my entire life had a sense that God was present. And even though I didn't really have that word, I had a, a, a sense that there was a presence that was not seen, as as your um, show is called, that that's invisible. That was that I could perceive, but I I didn't have any words or language for the experience, and so that brings me up to the point when I was in my thirties, and I was asked if I wanted to be the archivist for Henry Nouwen's archives, and I I actually had never heard of him, but I had heard of Jean Vanier, and so and I thought, well, this man Henry Nouwen had you know, gone to a Jean Vanier community, he must be a pretty good guy. And it was only a six-month contract anyway. And I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just do this. This will be interesting, which is, as an archivist, that's really why I got into the work, because you get to meet all these different, through through their archival records, different people, different organizations. So he just became another collection I was going to catalog. And as you've been saying in your introductions for me, I am now into my nearly, I'm in my 19th year of being completely and utterly dedicated to Henry Nouwen's legacy. So something happened. So what happened? I think I started going through his correspondence and Henry Nouwen kept over 16,000 incoming letters. And that was really one of my first jobs was to go through all of these letters and put them into, you know, catalog them, make them make them available to people. And it was in reading these letters and these incredibly beautiful letters from all of Henry Nouwen's readers, friends, family, talking about the spiritual life, talking about their interior life. And I realized, my goodness, here is a language. Here's finally a language for what I've been all of my questions, all of my spiritual questions were, were being addressed in these letters. And then, of course, I started reading his books and the draft manuscripts of his books. And then perhaps most importantly, though, is I started meeting Henry Nowen's circle of friends and family. And the people that I met, including his brother Laurent Nowen, including his very, very good friend, Sister Sue Mosteller, have become very central in my life. So 
what a gift that is, is that I now, never having met Henry Nowen, now am very close to his brother, very close to one of his best friends, and then many other of his close community. I've met many of them. We conducted oral history interviews with about 105 people. I didn't do all those interviews, but I've read them all. And so my life has literally expanded by this work with Henry Nowen's legacy. And how this affects me is that I I feel like a kindred spirit to, to Henry Nowen. I feel like a lot of his questions are my questions. I'm very different. I'm a woman. I'm not in clergy. I'm not a clergywoman. I'm Canadian. I'm not Dutch. I'm a totally different generation than he is. But somehow... His questions are my questions, and I continue to ask them, and he's continuing to provide me very nourishing answers, very oh, – like, what, I, what I love about Henry Nowen is that it, he's very open, open-ended. There's no prescriptions. There's no – it's always very invitational, and, and that's, that's been hugely important in my own spiritual journey. I now do attend the United Church of Canada Church, and I'm very, very happy there. I've been there for about 20 years, the same amount of time that I've been working with Henry Nowen's legacy. And so my life has been very deeply enriched by my work with the Henry Nowen legacy. It's a privilege. I see it as a privilege and something that I sometimes have to pinch myself and say, how did did this happen to me? Why me? (laughs) Well, and so he delivered these remarks that became this book, Following Jesus, to a crowd over six weeks in Harvard Square. So that was his original intended audience. But now that this book has been collected, and now that it exists as a book, who do you hope picks this book up? Who is the audience now for this book, Following Jesus? I think we live in a world that, I mean, anxiety might even be our, you know, it's our catchphrase. It's, you know, I I think a lot of people are very, very anxious. We do have a lot to be anxious about, and and I think Henry Nouwen would agree. I think Henry Nouwen, when he was writing it in 1985, he was talking about anxiety related to nuclear annihilation. We're now talking about a climate emergency. There's a real parallel there that Henry Nouwen was tapping into the zeitgeist of 1985 that I feel is unfortunately still with us. It's this sense that, we, that we're not okay, that the world is not okay, that something very, very dreadful is about to happen. We've got despair. We've got depression. He names all of this. Henry Nouwen has this uncanny knack. I mean, he is a trained psychologist, but he still is very good at naming what ails us. What, what is it about our society that's going on that's making that's making our personal lives, our individual lives, so sort of despairing. He names those things. And I think anyone reading this book will be, it's almost like when he names it, you go, oh, right, that's, that's what's been bothering me. That's a good way to put it. And then by naming it then, he then breaks it open to, well, and then now how, as a person who wants to follow Jesus or is drawn to the idea of being a loving person in spite of everything that we're seeing around us, how can I do that? And he provides a kind of a, it's like a flashlight, and he just, and he says, you know, try try this. Does this work for you? It's worked for me. Or I tried this, it didn't work, maybe it would work for you. So I'm hoping that everyone who picks up this book 
you know, reads it with an open heart, with the with the way that Henry intended it, which is to be heard through your own life experience and through your own deepest desires. I think Henry Nowen really, he wants to talk to us in that deepest place. He calls it the our innermost being, you know, and I love that. And he talks a lot about creating space for God and being anchored to God. And I think that a lot of us are running around or just sitting there, just not wondering, you know, wondering what to do. And I'm really hoping that anyone who is feeling those things, and I think it's a lot of us, will read this book and say, okay, I can, Henry offers concrete ways to do this. You know, I think you probably noticed how many times he talks about prayer. I mean, a prayer, silence, solitude, these these practices, these concrete practices are in the book. And, and because for him, this is how he he maintained his at-homeness with God, was to have this unceasing prayer life. And so I, I'm hoping that, that people who, who are searching, who are wondering how to live these difficult times, you know, some people say that this book is like getting a hug from Henry Nowen. <laughs> and I love that, because I think in a way it is. It's quite consoling. You feel like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God loves me, and and I love God, and and there's this kind of dignity and nobility to the human enterprise. And I'm going to enter it fully. And, you know, Jesus offers a life of abundance and a life of full aliveness and newness and suddenly my life can has meaning and i think that that's you know this is what we need in the 21st century we we need to believe this again we need to we need to sort of pull away from the consumerist you know capitalist you know money money and i am how much i earn and i am how many degrees i have and uh, you know i am how many friends i have to more about what actually brings meaning to my life. And that's really relationships, and it's being in loving relationships, being in reconciled, loving relationships. That's what this book is about. It's what following Jesus is about. It's about what the life of the Spirit is about. So that's that's who I hope will read this book. Well, Gabrielle Earnshaw, if not for your efforts, this would have been locked away in the archives. But now that I'm able to actually encounter these words of Henry Nouwen in Following Jesus, I was touched by them, and I have been moved by them, and I'm so thankful that they are now available for a wider audience here in the world. Thank you so much for taking time to speak to me and my audience today. Well, I really appreciate being asked. Thank you very much. We've been speaking today with Gabrielle Earnshaw. She's a historian and the founding archivist of the Henry Nouwen Archives in Toronto, Canada. And we've been discussing a book that she edited, pulled from remarks that Henry Nouwen gave in 1985. The title of the book is Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com 
slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.